Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you? How you doing? <laughs> well, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, I want to thank especially Anthony and Abby, um, Jeff, and uh, all, all of those who are leading ministries here. Um, so very important and uh, so very difficult to do on the ongoing basis because the real difference that we make in our life is not with a guest speaker coming in and going ba-boom, you know, for uh, 48 minutes. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, you know, it, it's that long obedience in the same direction that makes a difference in the lives of people. So thank you guys for what you do. And thank you for all of you who are serving together. Thank you especially for joining us this morning. If you're joining us online or if you're a first-time guest, we know that you have a lot of options with what you can do with your time, and there are a lot of things calling for your time and your attention. So we appreciate the fact that you have come this morning to deepen or to explore faith and to do that with people who um, really do genuinely care about you as a person. So thank you so much for being here this morning. And let me just say how much that Restoration House deeply appreciates your long-term partnership um, with us in transforming the spiritual landscape of New England. I'm actually an FBI uh, man um, originally, that's right, a farm boy from Illinois. <clears throat> Where's the, can I have the drummer back please? Okay. Um, yeah, I went to St. Louis Christian College, Lincoln Christian University, Harding University Graduate School, Memphis Theological Cemetery, um, where I got a demon. Okay. <laughs> Um, I have one wife, three grown children. One of them is a, um, married to a church planner uh, in New England. One of them runs a, uh, a nonprofit organization helping Hispanic adults learn so that they can get into the job market in uh, New England, and also then a, a son who teaches high school in Georgia. And um, so when we came from Dyer County, Tennessee, which is where I was, which is why my speech is corrupted, okay, if you've picked up on that. Um, when we came from Dyer County, Tennessee, we were in a county of about 35,000 people with 150 churches. We went to New England, and we found out that wasn't the case anymore. And so we said, hey, let's see what we can do to help, help that process. Um, you know, to date, God has used Restoration House to do some, uh, some amazing things. Let me just say, God has done some amazing things. So, for example, we have planted or adopted uh, 20 churches. We birthed 18. We've adopted two more churches. We're baptizing more than two people a day in New England. There's an increased number of Christian followers from 1,000 in 1996 to over 26,000 on Easter Sunday this last year, which is an annual growth rate of 18% for 23 years. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that as far as churches are growth, but that's just wicked amazing. I'm just saying. So we talk like that in New England. Um, and we have a strategic plan for planning up to 30 churches in the next 10 years and a, and a real vision that there will be more than 50 new churches in the next, uh, and campuses in the next 15 years. And we're really excited about that and we're really grateful for what God is doing. But the reality is we have 15 million people in New England and we have 4 to 5% evangelical church attendance. Okay, that would be like other churches like you who believe the Bible and believe that Jesus is Savior and who think that people need to connect with Jesus, all right? Um, 5%. That means we have 14,250,000 people who don't know Jesus. 
in New England and don't have an opportunity to be a part of a church um, like this one. You know, this morning I'm sharing from a part of the, the Bible known as the Gospels or the biography of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know, it's right in the beginning part of what we call the New Testament. And in that biography, I hope that we can see and hear Jesus' invitation to a transformed life and then to realize how we as Christ followers can issue that invitation to our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers in the same way. We at Restoration House believe that our partnership with all of our, our churches should be of reciprocal benefit. What do I mean by that? Obviously, when you pray for us, when you come and visit us, when you send teams like you've done in the past, when you, when you send your finances to us, that makes a big difference. But we also hope that the videos we send you, and by the way, you can sign up for those on the lobby or if you'll online, if you'll send an email to the church, they will make sure that you get those videos sent to your home. Um, you can sign up for those. We hope that those stories, those messages, these visits will also be an inspiration and an encouragement to you to reach your community. Because whether you know it or not, and you probably do because you're bright people, I can tell that just by looking at your face, I can tell that you probably know that the fastest growing religious group in Sagamon and Morgan County is the nuns. Now, I don't mean those religious women in black funny hats. No, I mean those who have no religion. In Morgan County, that's 51% of your population. In Sagamon County, that's 49% of the population of these counties identify themselves as having no religion. That's 88,750 in Sangamon County and 18,060 in Morgan County who have no experience in a church like yours. So whether you like it or not, your region is becoming more like the region that we've lived and worked in for 23 years. People who have no cultural motivation to go to church. No cultural motivation to go to church. You know, if you talk to people here and you say, hey, you know, we'd love to have you come to church. Yeah, I know I should go. Right? You've heard that, right? I know, I know. Or they'll say, well, I'm Baptist, you know. I say, yeah, who's that pastor over there? Well, I, I don't know. But, yeah, you know, it's just, it's that cultural thing. In New England, if you said, hey, why don't you come be a part of our church? Why the blankety blank blank would I want to be that? Because there's no cultural reason. For generations, people have not been coming. But here's what I want you to know. Your neighbors and relatives and coworkers are more like that than you realize. And so I want us to hear this morning how Jesus invites us to a transformed life and then in turn how we can turn around and invite the over 200,000 people that you work and live around every day to consider the possibility of a transformed life. But I, I understand there's, that those 200,000 people don't, they're really, because of the cynical and pessimistic society which we live in, does anybody know that? Cynicism is a love language in New England, and you might hear that a couple of times in my message. But people are cynical. Have you noticed that? Okay. They're doubtful. 
And so as a result, when we start, when a religious guy like me gets up and starts talking about God, you're thinking, what does he want from us? Come on. Come on, be honest. You see, I think Christians should be as honest as most people, don't you? Come on. You're thinking, what does he want from us rather than what is God offering for us? Everybody say, God is for us. See, but our, our neighbors don't believe that. And let me just be honest, because again, I think we should be as honest as most people. Many of us don't believe that either. And you know why we don't believe it and why they don't believe it? Because we have been beat down and beat up and lied to. And by the way, we've also done some beating up and lying to ourselves. And as a result, we feel this sense that we don't deserve a transformed life. Can anybody relate to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We doubt that we can enjoy this life because we don't think we deserve it. But let me just tell you, it's worse than that. It's not just pessimism and cynicism. Because a lot of the pain and confusion that people experience in our world pushes them farther down than just cynicism, actually to the point of despair. So much so that they want to escape, not only from Illinois, as many of your neighbors are doing. Come on. I'm from Illinois. I get it. But they want to escape from life. So that in your counties, in Illinois, about once a week, somebody takes their own life. Once a week. And not only that, but there are many people who find other forms of escape. So that in 2017, 123 citizens of Morgan and Sangamon counties lost their life to drug overdose, opioid addiction, and death. Well, what about alcohol? Well, the state of Illinois says that there are about 3,800 alcohol-related accidents every, that result in death every year, and another couple of hundred of alcohol-related diseases that take a life every year. That's 11 more per day. Come on with me now. Stay with me here. You know what that means? If you do the math, it means that way too many people are dying in Illinois because of a loss of identity. They don't know who they are. A loss of purpose. They don't know where they're going. And a loss of hope. They don't know if it's worth getting there. And I want you to know this, my friends. People cannot live without hope. And if they live, they cannot live well without hope and without purpose and without an identity. They just can't. And all that you take for granted if you're in Christ. And you know that even those who don't die, a lot of stupid, painful choices that people make send a shockwave, a ripple effect of pain to their friends and neighbors. I suspect that almost all of us in here know someone who's died either at their own hand or as alcohol, drug, overdose, or some alcohol-related accident or disease. And some of you have tears in your eyes right now because it's fresh. This is what... <laughs> This is the world we live in. 
And people can't live without hope. And that's why God said, enough's enough, it's time. And he sent his son into the world. And his son walked into his hometown in Luke chapter 4. And he read this passage from Isaiah. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And he rolled up the scroll and he handed it back to the attendant and he sat down and all the eyes in the synagogue were looking at him intently. And he said, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Jesus Christ came to assert that transformed life exists and that it's available through Him. No matter what people may say or demonstrate or think that Christianity is, I want us to remember and to understand that Christianity is good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for everyone, no matter what you've done or no matter what's been done to you. Say that with me. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news no matter what you've done or what's been done to you. The gospel is not a gospel of performance driven by willpower. Come on, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's the gospel. It's not. It is not a gospel of experience-driven pursuit. Okay, come on, let's just sing that song and feel that feeling. It's not about that. It is not a gospel of activism driven by service to others. Come on, let's go out there and care for the world. That's not the gospel. Now all those things happen, but it starts right here. The gospel is good news for those who are poor and blind and broken. It is good news for every one of us and for every one of our family members and every one of our neighbors and every one of our co-workers and every one of the 200,000 people who are far from God in our counties who are willing to bring their broken heart to God and say, God, please, please give me a new heart. Please give me a new start. Give, please take away my guilt. Please take away my condemnation. Please take away my hopelessness and give me Something new. Our God is still in the business of transforming lives. And He wants us to know and He wants our neighbors to know that the gospel is something that is for them and not something that God wants from them. And you see, that's still happening today. T turn to your neighbor and say, God is for you. Say it again. I don't think they believed you. God is for you. And when God is for you, it makes a difference in your life and it will impact the world profoundly, just like it did in this video that you'll see right now, where 30, on June 9th, 35 people were baptized into Christ at Bridgepoint Christian Church in East Providence, Rhode Island, in the ocean. Their story, their 35 testimonies are made into one story. Listen to that now. Is that not wicked awesome? Hey, how can that happen here? How can that happen here? I want you to know that that's not an Oprah-esque secret, okay? Too often, we try to make this thing so complicated that we forget how easy it is. Do you remember how Jesus invited people into a relationship with Him? 
John the Baptist is baptizing some people, and Jesus comes down, you know, and he's baptized. And John says what? He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We just kind of had that in our, our communion meditation time in the video. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he points to Jesus. And some of the people look at him. And here's what happens in John chapter 1. And Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, What do you seek? And they asked him, Teacher, where are you staying? Here it is. Here's the invitation to Jesus. Here it is. You ready? This invitation to discipleship. Are you ready? Come and see. Just come and see. Just come to my house. Just follow me into the park. Just come and see. And they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about 10 in the morning. And you know what he did? The first step of discipleship is hanging out with somebody like Jesus or being somebody like Jesus that somebody would be willing to hang out with even if they hadn't cleaned up their act right where they are. Jesus said, come and see, but all too often we overcomplicate this, don't we? Because what do we say? Well, I don't know enough. I'm afraid somebody asked me a question I don't know the answer to. What do I do? I'll be embarrassed. <laughs> Just come and see. If you are in Christ, then Christ is in you. And just invite people into the fabric of your life. Let them see your warts. Let them see your struggles. Let them see how you depend upon God. Not in the church house, but where you depend on God, where you really live. And let them see that you believe that Jesus makes a difference in your life. You do believe that, yes? Yeah, if you believe that, then you let them see that. And they say, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I'll come back to your house. And I'm going to come to this house. They're not going to come to this house until they know and they can trust you. And they see in you something that they want. But too often we've made it difficult. I want to tell you this. 35 people were not baptized by experts at Bridgepoint on June 9th. Or 350 who were baptized on one day in Manchester, New Hampshire, were not baptized by a bunch of experts. You know who they were baptized by? People like you. People like you who allowed people like your neighbor, to see Jesus living in you. But here's the problem. We have to see those people. They saw Jesus. Jesus saw them. How many people do you see every day? Come on. How many people do you see every day? How many people do you drive by that you don't even notice? You see, here's the hard question. If we don't really look at people, you know that person outside of Walmart who doesn't like look right? Huh? Doesn't narrow it down, right? That was good. Where's the drum? And we try not to look at them. Have you done that before? You think they notice that? How about this? If I'm having a conversation with you, but I'm really looking at that person over there and hoping they'll talk to me, how long are you going to stay in this conversation? Not very long. Not very long. And you know what? Our neighbors know that. And they know that we're not listening because we're the church that goes out talking rather than the church that goes out listening. And when we go out listening, then people say, you care about me? 
You care enough about me to listen to what I'm saying and to what I'm experiencing, what I'm struggling with. And by the way, I'm not going to tell you what I'm struggling with until you know the simple stuff about my life. And so I'm not going to tell you that right off the front end. You come and ask me, hey, where are you going to spend eternity? <laughs> I'm done. Get me out of here. They want to know, do you care about me as a person? See, all far too often in the church, if we lost the soul, we didn't know what to do with the person. Come on. You with me? So Jesus went out listening to people. And then in turn, he, they were willing to listen to him. There's a principle involved here that it's a secular principle. It says the more you care about someone, the more attention you pay. And the more attention you pay, the more you care. You get it? Attention interweaves with love. The more the attention you pay, the more you care. The more you care, the more attention you pay. Doesn't that make sense? With your grandchildren, doesn't that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. But we forget sometimes. I, I preached in uh, Dyersburg, Tennessee for 22 years. We had a guy in our church who owned a funeral home. Now, people with own funeral homes... And work in that business. Anybody here do that? I won't, I won't hurt anybody. Too. You do a little bit? No? Okay. Um, you've been to one though, right? Okay. But they have kind of an unusual sense of humor. Okay. So our friend Howard, who's now gone on to be with Jesus, he came into class. He was going to teach a Bible class on the book of Acts. So he had all the tables set up like you guys had out here for your class this morning. And he walked in. He always carried his money rolled up in a wad. Okay, and he pulled out a few bills, and he came in, and his people were sitting down, and he threw it down on the table, and he said, all right, everybody, ante up. <laughs> and they said, Howard, this is a Sunday school class. This is a Bible class. This is not a card game. He said, yeah, 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 ante up. He's a pretty strong personality, so everybody threw some dollars on the table. <laughs> Howard went around, he picked up all the dollars, he rolled them back up, put a rubber band around them, then he walked down and he gave them to a person in the class, and he said, now take this and do something with it in Jesus' name, and next week come back and tell us what you did. And every week of the class he did that, and you know what happened? People started seeing people that they'd never seen. They started seeing needs they'd never seen. You know why? Because they knew that they had something to give away. And that's what happens when people in New England start praying for one. They wake up every morning and they say, Jesus, give me someone today to share and show your love to. Just give me one. I don't care who it is. Lord, give me someone today to share and show your love to. And you know what? <clears throat> Go figure. He answers the prayer. And we start seeing these people and we start loving them in Jesus' name. Not because we have an agenda. We're just loving them in Jesus' name just because that's how we wanted to be treated, right? Jesus invites those people into his, into his life. But then there's another level of something that goes on. Invite them into the substance of your life so that they can meet Jesus there. And once they meet him there, then they're going to hear the second invitation of Jesus. And the second invitation to a transformed life sounded like this. Jesus was going along the sea. He's had relationship with these guys for a while. And he says to Simon and Andrew, the brother Simon casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said what? Come on, you know this. Follow me and I will come and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, why did they do that? <laughs> that was weird. Because they were losers. They had nothing else to do. And that's not true. They owned businesses. 
successful businesses. Why did they leave? Because Jesus was saying to them, follow me and I will make you something that you're not. Follow me and I will give you a life that without me you cannot have. Follow me and I will give you a transformed life. And they wanted that hope. They wanted that desire. And so they followed him. And he started changing their lives. Because he offered them real hope. That's what Jesus offers to us and to our neighbors. Something that we can't have on our own without him. Jesus in his life and death and burial. Provided people an opportunity to have a source of life that without him they can't have. And a hope that without him they can't have. And it's amazing. You know, some amazing things happen when people who don't know Jesus but are accepted by Christ followers because somebody loved them. They come into Christ and they do some interesting things. You know, I said, shared some of this in, this in the class this morning, in the group class this morning. You know, they'll come in and they'll be, they'll be sitting there because they know they've been saved by Jesus. They know they've not been condemned. And they'll be sitting in a group of people who are studying the Bible, trying to figure out what in the world they're supposed to do, right, in their life. Not in their church to be accepted. That's already done. They just, they want to know, well, what am I supposed to do? It's inside out, right? It's life transformation. And they'll read something and they say, it says here in Ephesians that God's for marriage. Yeah. Do you think my boyfriend and I should get married instead of just living together? And nobody thinks any different of them. This happens sometimes. It only happened once in Vermont, but it just so well illustrates the point. There was a guy who came to Christ. He'd been in Christ for following Christ for about a month. The preacher said, hey, during the communion time, why don't you just share briefly what God has done in your life? Kind of a testimony. Good idea, right? Be encouraging, right? Well, so the preacher asked him to write out the script just to make sure that it's concise enough to fit in the slime slot and everything. And so he writes it out. Well, he gets up in front of people and he goes off script just a bit. And he drops an F-bomb in his communion meditation. <laughs> and nobody gasped. Some of you gasped when I said that in this. But nobody gasped. They just said, look, Jesus is alive in his life. And, and stuff like that happens when you accept people where they are and you love them and they figure out that they're loved. Then they start being transformed by Jesus from the inside out. Here's the power. Here's the power. The power is in the story. As people come to understand God's story and understand their story and how the two of them come together by hearing your story. Here's the quote. The creator of the universe of that which is seen and unseen has engaged himself in your life. And because of that, you are not what you once were. Can you imagine people, friends of Peter and John and Andrew coming up to them after this thing, after they've been following Jesus for a while? They say, hey guys, hey, when you left fishing, what are you doing? They said, well, we're now rescuing people out of the sea of despair. And we're leading them from death to life and from hopelessness to hope. And their friends would look at them like they just had green heads or something. And they'd say, you get paid for that? 
And they'd say, no, no, no. That's not what we do. That's who we are. And if that's who we are, what a difference it makes in what we do and in all of our relationships. Can you see it? So the real question is then, who are you? Because transformation of life is not just about what we receive from Jesus for ourselves, but it includes what Jesus can do through us. Right here in these counties. Just the same as it does in New England. So what are the action steps for you? Here you go. You ready? Number one. Say yes to the invitation of Jesus' life. Take the next step for you. Is that a conversation? Is it a question? Is it a decision to be baptized? Is it to join a group, to start a group in your home, to invite people who are struggling with some of the things things you're struggling with to come together and pray about it? Just say yes to what the Holy Spirit is inviting you to in your heart. And if you're not hearing anything, then I encourage you to start listening because the Holy Spirit is always going to be prompting us to take the next step to follow Jesus. Amen? Number two, thank God for those who introduced you to Jesus. Don't become so comfortable with who you are now that you forget where you came from. There are none of us that are self-made Christians. We're just not. Because somebody, a grandpa, a grandma, a mom, a dad, an uncle, a friend, somebody in recovery with you, somebody in jail with you, somebody let you know that there was a God who loved you and who was ready to make a difference in your life. Thank God for that person and then ask God to help you be that person for somebody else. Number three, ask God to give you one person today to whom you can share and show Jesus' love and then do it again tomorrow. And just watch. Because if you pray that, it's dangerous. Let me tell you how dangerous it was. When Bo Chansey came to Manchester Christian Church, they were a church that was running about 1,200. Woo-hoo, that's great, right? That's super. He came in the first day, and I'm telling you, folks, he looked like Opie. I'm just saying. Red hair the whole night. He said, from Texas, right? Hi, I'm Bo. I love Jesus, and I want you to love Jesus too. And he didn't really talk like that. But... He said, the way I love Jesus is every day when I wake up, I say, God, give me someone to share and show your love to. He said, that's how I love Jesus. Would you love Jesus with me like that? And now, seven years later, that church is running over 4,000 in three campuses because the people of the church started doing it. Now, this is going to create a problem for you who are elders and leaders. How many of you are elders? Just raise your hand a little bit. Okay. It's going to be a problem because if your people start doing that, if you pray for one, you're going to have to make room for one. They got to be so full, they were running four services on Sunday morning. And they were out of seats. And so Bo went to the elders' meeting and he said, Guys, listen, it looks like to me that either we're going to have to find some more seats or one of you guys is going to have to get up and tell the people to stop praying for one. And none of them volunteered. And so they found more seats. And here's the point, people. If we're going to pray for one, we have to make room for one, not just in our church house, but in our lives. We have to have enough boundary in our life that we're not so busy that if somebody, our neighbor, looks our direction and acts like they need some help, we can actually stop what we're doing and go help them. 
Or we could actually go over to their house and ask them to help us. If we're going to pray for one, we have to make room for one in our heart first and then in our lives. And then you'll have to make room in your house. Oh, yeah, it's God's house, right? Yeah. Fourth, open your eyes and your heart in preparation for the ways and ways that God is going to love through you. Make room for your schedule, build margin in your lives. And then finally, if you're willing to do that, tell someone today, before you leave here, before the sun sets today, or before the rain falls, or whatever's going to happen, tell someone what you've decided in faith to do to what God has invited you to. And I want you to know it's a great journey. What God is doing in New England is not the two people being baptized every day and churches being planted is not because of me. And it's not because of Eric Lee, my executive director. It's because of people like you who are loving their neighbors. And God's doing some wicked, amazing things in that. He is in New England and he will here. As those 200,000 people you've driven by every day start to see that Jesus loves them too, just like he loves us. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for what you have done in calling us out of darkness into life, light, out of death into life, out of hopelessness into hope. Now I pray that you might give us your power, your wisdom, your love, that we can invite our neighbors to join us in that transformed life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.